Hi, everybody. Welcome back. This is Poya. Uh, this episode is a great one. It's repurposed. Uh, I was recently fortunate enough to be part of a panel uh, that David Apple and the rest of the team at Sage Intact run, uh, where we discussed how SaaS companies can have more success moving from the seed stage to the growth stage. And we discussed not only some of the strategies that they can take, but also some of the tactics that can help companies go from point A to point B. Uh, and the other thing I wanted to mention, as many of you know, I've been fortunate enough to be part of the Saster community, one of the largest B2B SaaS uh, communities in the world. Um, and they have an upcoming event called Saster Scale that's coming up and it's gonna feature the CEOs of Airtable, Okta, and many other amazing companies and their respective uh, executives. Uh, and they've been fortunate enough to allow me to extend I welcome to any of our listeners to join that event for free. So if you go to sasterscale.com and purchase a ticket, you can get a VIP ticket for free when you enter the code POYA VIP. Again, uh, that is sasterscale.com and the code is POYA VIP. I will put both of these things for both Sage Intact uh, and their series that they run uh, around the webinars, as well as the Saster Scale series. Um, in the in the show notes, uh, but one way or another, would love uh, for you to join us. Thanks so much, and enjoy the show. Hello, everybody. Thank you for joining this next session of the SaaS Success Series. This one's a fantastic topic. It's one I constantly get questions about, which is how to move from seed to growth stage. And we got a fantastic panel. I'm going to let them introduce themselves in just a second, but we've got Tina, Poya, Ryan, and myself. I'm David Apple. I'm head of the SaaS vertical here at Sage Intact. I've been part of over 1,400 implementations of new systems, and you sure learn a lot from going through all this. And the four of us want to pay it forward and give it back to you. Uh, many of you, because I could see the registration, longtime customers, thank you very much. Uh, others are new and in early discussions. We hope this helps you. This is trying to pass on some insights from some great experts to help you be successful. Uh, so quick Q&A. We're going to play off each other with ability to take questions uh, through the sub submit questions that you have. Time permitting, we'll save some time at the end. If we can't get through them all, we'll get through them. And if we've got a survey for you to take, we'd like to learn a lot about you. And then for each of you to share about each other, we can publish those results afterwards. And then we'll have a follow-up of the deck and a recording of the blog coming on. So. Whenever we build one of these things, there's things we want to invest in to make it real clear what you will get out of it. Here's three things. How do you position yourself for the next stage of growth? We're going to go through what you do with people, process, and technology and be specific and we'll get specific about it. The concept of how do you tell the story? And because we're all finance leaders, we use numbers to help tell the story. That's uh, because, you know, BS, you know, money talks and BS walks. So you got to have the story that you want to tell. We're going to make some suggestions how you can do that for yourselves and your companies. And then what are the practical steps? Let's get operational and then act, go from theory to tactics on having it come through. So let's first off meet our panel. I'd like to introduce Tina. Tina, if you come off mute and allow me to introduce Tina Gregory. She's a CFO at Early Growth Financial Services. She'll tell you about the firm. But Tina is one of the top advisory CFOs in Silicon Valley. She's helped so many great firms, people just like you, get through this. Tina, share a little bit about yourself. Thanks, David. I've been working in finance and operations for longer than I than I care to talk. <laughs> had the pleasure. I have had the pleasure, though, as David um, said, of working with a lot of very intriguing startups and uh, bringing a lot of wonderful ideas to fruition. Um, our firm specializes in, you know, early early growth, Series A, B. Um, and the, the whole goal of our organization, is, as David said, is to get the right systems, the, the right processes in place, to get the right discipline in place and help you tell your story so that you're ready for the next stage. Thanks, David. Oh, it's fantastic. Thank you. And you, guys, you can see the competency upon which they've done as a firm. Next, I'd like to introduce Ryan Floyd, who's one of the co-founders co and then managing director of Storm Ventures. Storm's just delivered such great results over six funds and you've advised so many companies so many people just like you getting through this next stage ryan you share a little bit about yourself yeah hey everybody it's great to be here my name is ryan floyd and as david said yeah i'm uh founding and managing director at storm 
um, I've been investing in Silicon Valley for a little over 20 years now, and we just do early stage B2B SaaS. So typically that means companies that are like at a half a million or so ARR and growing. And then we sort of help them get to 50, 100 million and sort of beyond. And we've done a lot of companies that you all would know, like Mobile Irons, a public company, Marketo, first marketing automation SaaS company, and then a lot of private companies like TalkDesk or Workato, other ones you may have heard of too. So yeah, excited to be here and get into it. You've sure cut your teeth helping a lot of people get up at the speed, Ryan. And for those of you who aren't aware, Ryan's got his own podcast that he does for advising a lot of go-to-market models. So he's looking for many ways to pay it forward. Yes, for ask a VC on YouTube. Yeah, please check it out. Thank you. (laughs) Tina, I forgot to give you a chance to put in a plug. When we're done with Puya, let me circle back to you for doing that because there's so much more beyond just this session that people can gain from all of your perspectives. Uh, Puya is CEO and co-founder of Puya Ventures. Puya, if you look down there on the the bottom right-hand corner past, first sales hire at some fantastic growth firms. He's seen so much. And now you're engaged so many SaaS firms as leading sponsorships at Saster. Would you share a little bit about yourself with everybody? Yeah, Ryan comes in as the investor. I come in as the operator, I think, Angle. Um, I've I've been fortunate to be a part of uh, many fast-growing companies as usually the first sales hire, Automile, who just got acquired um, for an amount I can't disclose, but uh, it recently got acquired. And then HackerRank, they're on track to do $100 million. I joined them when they were around a million. So been very, very fortunate to be a part of the journey of those companies. But about two, three years ago, I moved over to consulting and advising and have basically loved joining companies before they have even any revenue for the most part and helping them not only get to product market fit, but helping them scale um, as well. And then half my time is spent supporting the community at Saster, one of the largest SaaS communities in the world. Uh, And similar, similar to Ryan, I also run a podcast called Uncharted and Eclectic. Uh, where we bring out more of the human side of uh, folks in SaaS. So check us out. Yeah, you've sure learned a lot. It's a lot to give here and elsewhere. Tina, how does, by the way, uh, how does somebody learn a little bit more about you afterwards? Yeah, I, I'm not a podcaster. I stand in the background as your CFO. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I'm, I'm not, my specialty. Um, you just got more street cred with the audience <laughs> by saying that. <laughs> uh, yeah, so so I, I really appreciate, really do sincerely appreciate the ability to, you know, work with Goyen and, and hear Ryan. And, and these podcasts are incredibly valuable. Um, and we run events where we, you know, we, we have meet the VCs and, and talk with us. Talk, we have lunch and learns and things like that. So hit me up at one of those. I'm always happy to, to talk about finance, accounting, growth, and uh, br- bringing great ideas to fruition. Awesome. And there's a lot of value there. So let's start off with this. Some of you have seen this before. It starts on the left-hand side, starts in the bottom, works its way up, seed to series A to series B, where there's something you need to accomplish at each measure. Product market fit at seed, moving to proving your revenue model with getting, you know, you know, have a high growth rate and having the reps that you hire show sales efficiency and leading to being able to prove out expansion of that revenue model by getting people to buy from you a second and third time. We're really focused on these bottom three areas, essentially how you get from seed to series A, but then be think thoughtful about what you need at series B. And the replay, uh, you have to go deeper on, uh, spend time on this. And we've got whole sessions specifically on this. So I want to just talk about the strategy about what it is you need to do. And Tina, would you just kick things off? Because now we're trying to get in the meat. You got a little bit of context to everybody is and their competency. Let's start giving back to the folks listening right now. Tina, what do, what do you need to do at Series A? Yep, exactly. And and it's it's really outlined here. Um, and and Sage Intact has been uh, you know very clear in in laying this out. But the the ability to really understand the business model and actually put the bones on the dragon right i mean you can you can paint the dragon that's easy you can say this is my solution this is what i i'm going to market this way this is the these are the problems i'm solving but inside the bones of the dragon are difficult and so developing a 2 to 3 year financial model is absolutely key and you can't develop that model unless you first understand the systems and the processes that you're going to have to have in place the contracts how your contracts need to be structured um, and the, the cust- how you really want to go to, to um, go to market with your customers, right? Are you looking at, for example, um, rolling out a POC to a very small group and, and getting some great feedback first, 
there are a lot of ways to, to take a look at how to structure your model and how you want to do that first set of outreach. But you have to do the first set of outreach well, because unfortunately, primacy, the primacy effect is very important, right? For your customers, for your, vent, for your investors. So your first impression matters. Make sure that you're professional in your approach. And that means from the contract to the business model to the way that you're presenting your idea. Um, and I think that's, the, that's the, the first thing that I would emphasize for from, from day one and forward. I mean, just to, uh, I think that that's, that's, that's great. The, I, I, you know, I'd add on this, you know, the last bullet point on this slide, you know, you'll probably find different perspectives on, you know, uh, profitability and sort of, you know, how to think about it. I think maybe the point of that is really, it ties back to having that model and having an idea that whatever business you're starting with right now, you've got an idea that it can scale. As like a series A investor, when I'm looking at these companies that are coming in and like I say, maybe they got a half a million of revenue, you're really thinking about scaling it because the only reason to raise venture money is if you think you can scale quickly. Because if it's going to be more of a linear growth or there's some other path that you're going to follow, you know, you don't want to raise venture money because you're, you're not going to get your bang for your buck there in terms of the dilution you're going to take for the, the growth that you're going to be able to achieve. And so having an understanding of that model and really what drives the growth and having confidence around the economics, the unit economics, it's, you know, it's, it's critical. And you really lay that foundation, like Tim was just saying, at the, at the early stage. The only thing I'll add here... Um the second to last bullet point about yearly prepayments. If we can, if you can get paid upfront, amazing. Um, right. I, I, I think everybody wants that. If um, we all we had a camera both ways, Puya, yeah. everyone's going like this right now. Yeah. <laughs> I, can't, I can't even tell you how many times we talk with, um, with really great companies that have developed terrific subscription solutions, terrific um, business solutions. Puya's right, but they won't ask for the, they won't say pay me a in advance, a quarter, you pay me for the quarter in advance, right? They yeah. just won't ask for that. And that to me signals in finance, signaling is a big thing, obviously. So to Boy's point. What that signals to me is I'm putting out there the fact that I've got some reservations about my value. Don't do that. You develop the solution. You want some. You, you want people to really. I think as as Ryan points out and has pointed out in some of his podcasts and 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 just talking with him before. You really want folks to get to that aha point. I can't live without this solution. So present it that way. Ask for ask to be paid on that contract up front, right? You can only, always modify from there. So I, I'm with Poya. I think that's terrific yeah. advice. I, my only suggestion, which, which can backfire and having been through it, is a lot of folks, um, at least having done sales, especially in the early days, you don't really have somebody selling again for the second year. At least sales is not. So I would also be careful because, at least in my opinion, what sometimes happens is if you don't have a good post getting people to usage using it, you're going to hit the churn problem which actually, as Ryan can attest, it's going to backfire. So if you're going to ask for that, just make sure the good thing is you have 12 months, right, at least to get that customer to usage and health and making them successful. Make sure that plan is also there, right? Because the tough part about SaaS or subscriptions is you have to earn that business month after month, year after year. Just kind of summarizing this page, everybody. This is a strategy. We're getting under the tactics next. Plan that model. Plan it out. Know the metrics you're going to manage it against and then pull in the cash to be able to fund it. That's a great setup. Key tactics. Puya, keep, keep your momentum going. That was such a great point you made on the last one, right? Is Now we start getting that next level tactic where the operators start kicking in. Uh, yeah. I'll, the only thing I'll add here is um, at the beginning, it, as Ryan mentioned, if you're trying to get to product market fit, I think a lot of people sometimes make the mistake of focusing too much on revenue. And it's, I'm not saying don't focus on revenue. That's important. But put more of an emphasis on usage. And I don't know what that metric is. Some people go by daily active users. Some go with monthly active users, whatever you want to do. Uh, but get the customer to see value. Like whatever, however you do that in the least amount of time that should be your focus, right? Uh, in the early days. And then as Ryan attest, kind of showing the unit of economics, showing that this is repeatable. I think that's really, really important. And the number one mistake sometimes I see there is people don't do enough documentation. They just do it, but they don't document it anywhere to make it easier for the next person should they unfortunately leave the organization, right? So 
uh, take those things into account. And then the last thing I'll just end with, at least this is a personal mistake I've made time after time, is collections. Uh, a lot of the times early on, nobody knows who owns collections, whose responsibility it is. So if it's credit card payments, get a system like Chargebee or Stripe to make sure those things are, are happening. If it's a contract, uh, I don't think it should be sales that owns that. It should be somebody else, whether it's in-house, external, a part-time CFO, whatever it may be. But those are the three things I'll just add. Personally, I've made a mistake time after time that I would watch out for because the last thing you want to do is get money from Ryan and he's expecting to see a million bucks in the bank. And next thing you know, he only sees half of that money, right? You're not, you're going to have a lot, you're going to have a tough time explaining to him what the heck happened. So it's a rough first board meeting. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and it, it's it's happened a lot with, right right oh it, you just came up with a new measure by the way the most value in the least time you heard, you heard it here first the mvlt uh ryan sorry keep going well i you know what i would add to that i agree completely um it's the the the, the second uh, uh circle there about building a repeatable sales process i i think for SaaS companies this is this is really key and you might think being in a you know, finance role that you know, maybe there's limited things that you can do here, but it actually turns out that instrumenting uh, that process, and, and if, especially if you include marketing spend, it, it's really critical to understand kind of what's working. It's hard to scale like hero sales, right? I mean, you may have a really successful founder who can just you know, sell anything to anybody or a really successful AE that can do it, but it's not going to be repeatable. The only way you can really make it repeatable is really laying down that instrumentation and really investing against what's working and then doubling down against that. And for me as a, you know, primarily a series A investor, having some confidence in that there's something that's repeating in that sales process is really important because it's only then that you kind of build confidence that you, you know who you're selling to you know that roughly your value proposition is starting to kind of resonate with that particular population. And that's not to say you've got everything figured out. Obviously there's lots of stuff still that's going to be rough around the edges, but there's something to work with like the products, you know, it's hunting. Um, and so I think in terms of, you know, certainly thinking about the next round, that's just really critical. And I think a lot of these things kind of pivot around, uh, around getting that sales sales process. And I think a lot of investors talk about it in the context of sales efficiency, um, and I know we've got a, you know, a slide where we can talk a little bit more about the specifics of that and what that, what that means, but really thinking about sales, I mean, that, that in a SaaS model is, is just critical. And, yeah, you know, and to Ryan's just, and Poya's point too, I mean, what's really important, collections are important absolutely to, to Ryan's point, a repeatable, understandable process, a contract that's clear and easy to understand not having to say, well, the best way for me to grow my business is to clone me because I'm, I'm the founder and that's how I sell. Um, th these are really important concepts and, um, and the ability to have, the, to have that uniformity in place with some flexibility, of course. The ability to say, um, the salesperson is going to be the one that is the, has fiduciary responsibility, not just for the sale, like Poya said, but for the relationship going forward. So when it comes to collection, Shove that over to your financial people, right? The founder shouldn't be making those phone calls, right? The, the key sales team shouldn't be making those phone calls. Their job is to, is to, is to you know, work with the customers and take the market research that the customers are giving you when they talk about how they use their products, what they like, what they don't like, what they wish they could see in your product. All of that information, you're getting all of that from your salespeople and then push the financial, the follow-up and the contract negotiation and and all of the, the rec revenue recognition and how that's done, the structure of the contract, push that to the finance department and free up those salespeople for the value that they can provide on up for market research, business development, and that repeatable sale. Yeah, there's some great, here's some great tactics for all of you, right? Just to think about, and you might already be doing this, perhaps this just sharpen the saw for you, but think about repeatable processes and have put, do it right up front with how you, score and track the financials because that's the data that you want to see on the back end and then from this you can guide your peers running marketing and sales as to what is efficient where should cash go where do you get the greatest return because they want that feedback from you the next generation of cfo isn't the deal preventer or the historian it's the storyteller and the funder 
of future storytelling. So let's move into the, the third one is we've been building up to this, right? So we've got the strategy, we put in some tactics, now we gotta measure it. Ryan, what do we wanna measure? Well, I think you probably start with going back to what I just mentioned, you know, sales efficiency is going to be probably the, the most important thing, I think, for an early stage business. Uh, I mean, you want to be looking at the revenue metrics, the gr growth and so forth, but I'd spend in terms of really understanding what's working and, and probably the best indicator of when to spend more money is really around sales efficiency. I mean, you can't brute, m most companies are not going to be able to raise enough money to brute force a sales strategy. So, you know, you've, you've got to play the game there and you have to understand what's going to scale and, and how. I think, you know, Poyas mentioned the engagement piece. That would be the other thing I'd spend a lot of time uh, on in terms of a metric. And, and as you mentioned, there's different ways to sort of look at engagement. Ultimately, SaaS is about customer happiness. Mm -hmm. If you don't make your customers happy, they're eventually going to churn. And, you know, you can pat yourself on the back that you were able to bring in like some revenue that, you know, they signed a year contract. But unfortunately, many companies come to find out that six months in, that company didn't deploy whatever it is you sold them, and they're not going to renew because they've got no value out of it. And so really tracking that engagement, starting with onboarding all the way through to usage is critical. Because, and, 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 and for another reason, too, that's not necessarily intuitive to, to everybody, it leads to expansion. Mm. You know, I, I tell our companies, if you're not expanding and growing your accounts, you should just assume they're going to churn. And it's, it's sort of a, a, a harsh way to look at it, that if you're, if you're not expanding your customer base, then you know, they're at risk of churn. But it is probably the best measure of happiness. If a customer is expanding with you, they're happy. If they're not, you ought to be concerned. So those, those would be the couple areas that I would spend uh, a lot of time focusing on in terms of metrics. Ryan, what about upselling? What's your what's your view and and Poya too? What are your views on you know expanding the market, expanding the number of customers? But how about the upsell? Yeah, Poya, why don't you take it first? Like, yeah, yeah, I'll start. Uh, you, you, uh, Ryan had brought up uh, mobile iron, and that that uh, made me smile because I'll, I'll give the hacker ink. Um, and one of the things that's missing here, in my opinion, is incentives. Uh, if you want to drive behaviors from a sales perspective measure and reward people for the behaviors you want to see. So in the early days, we talked about usage. Do not, I repeat this again, do not reward your salespeople for revenue because it's easy to sell something and move on. Reward them for usage, reward them for making a re referral. So why do I bring this up? We had a customer at Mobile Iron and one of the things early days at HackerRank we did was whoever gets the first referral, like the second time a customer buys or they refer you to someone, their commission gets doubled. Right. And guess who did? I did. And that person went to Zenmask <laughs> and Jim Kelly still, I owe him a lot. Like the first, it, the first solution you wanted to implement was hackering. Right. Uh, but the other thing you can do is for some, some of you, you, you have to, as much as we love to get annual contracts, unfortunately people are moving away from wanting to spend all their money at once, unless they really get a proof of concept or something. So going month to month is not necessarily a bad thing. And the reason this is important is you can reward your sales team in what I call a reverse commission structure. Uh, they hate it, but if they do it, while they're actually going to love it, meaning the first month, maybe they get 2%. The third month that the customer stays with you, they get 4%. The fifth month, it just keeps going up to at a certain point, you got to limit it and cap it. But um, those are some ways you can drive that behavior. So my, I guess the short answer is the behaviors you want to see reward people uh, to follow those behaviors. So. Mm -hmm. And I think to, to some extent, too, what we focus on when we're looking at SaaS metrics, we're always looking at actionable, what we call actionable financial statements, right? I want to see how my financial statements are reflecting my plan, how and I want to do my variance analysis, right? But I also want to look at those SaaS metrics, and I have to get those out of my system, um, out of the systems that I'm using in the processes. And one of, the, one of those key factors is like the cohort analysis, like, and, and Poya's point on the commission is kind of aligned with that, right? I mean, I want to see if I've got a client, if I if I gained a customer today, right? I want to keep that customer for, you know, I, I want to determine what the lifetime value is, but I also want to be gauging, right? If what what the fall off is on that cohort, if after year two or three, I'm seeing a lot of, you know, churn or I'm seeing a lot of loss, to me, that's a that's a I need to look at my sales process. I need to look at my product. I need to look at additional functionality. What's the next thing? What am I missing in my in my SaaS offering that my clients are needing? 
to you know to keep that to, to keep that cohort um, retention rate high. Ryan, one of the things I'm going back now, you, you brought up before we get into core analysis for Ryan, you had brought up sales efficiency. What metrics do you really like? How do you measure that? In other words, like if a founder or CFO comes to you, what are the metrics you look at that you're like, hey, wow, this company is really, really efficient? How, how can they tell the story using numbers for you? Well, I, you know, I think it's, you know, probably don't have time today to get into the, the calculation, but, you know, it's, it's looking at that ratio of basically sales and marketing spend against what new ARR you're bringing in. And, um, you know, like on, on this slide here that we're all, you know, sort of looking, looking at, you know, it's closely related to the CAC payback. I don't use CAC because, you, you know, I, I think you ought to be including uh, expansion in sort of how you think about sales efficiency and CAC traditionally, does, it's more of a consumer uh, use, but, um, but it, but it all gets at the same idea. And here it has, you know, best is like less than 12. So like within a year, that's great. Um, you know, good. I'm not sure I'd say 24 months is good. I'm not sure I, I'd be in that camp. That would, that would concern me because you just, you know, you're not really sure, uh, if, cause that's just hard to scale. You're going to spend a lot of money trying to scale if that's what, you know, if that's what you got. So that, that's kind of how I, I think about it. Um, and this also, it's probably worth mentioning, this also assumes you've got a relatively high gross margin business, right? Um, so I think when people talk about these sort of payback periods, you know, they're assuming you're in the 70s, maybe low 80s. But if you've got it, for whatever reason, if you're in a 50% gross margin business, by definition, then you must have to have a much faster payback. Um, you know, it's just the way the math works. Well said. And Tina, you had brought up cohort analysis. What does that mean? for folks that might not know what that means. No, in, in, in my simplistic financial terms, that means to look at like the, the first, each tranche of, of customers that I bring in to, to, for, my, for my platform, I wanna measure how long, not just how long I expect them to stay with me, but how long they actually do stay with me. So I bring them in in year two, how many of them are still buying my product? How many are now buying my second offering right the upsell right how many of them after year three kind of the same thing you, the reverse commission idea right it matters that i got them at first and i and i think the gross margin point is key here too right uh it matters i got them at first but i want to know actually how long i'm keeping them and how happy they are that's a really good to me that's a very telling point for what do i need do i need to pivot something on my offering do i need to look at a different way to present my offering is there some functionality i'm missing that i need to work on that's what that's what I'm referring to in cohort analysis. Does that help? I, I mean, I think Tina, you you know, you raise a good point too, because I think one thing people don't necessarily appreciate about cohort analysis is it, is it sometimes gives you a view to the future that you maybe otherwise couldn't see. Yeah. So, for example, on the positive side, you may notice that your cohort of customers that maybe that came on a year ago, they've all expanded, let's say, twenty percent, twenty five percent, right? you might get more comfortable going in at a lower ACV initially if that would expand yeah. and accelerate customer acquisition, given that you've developed confidence that those customers are going to expand in the future, right? So there, it's a subtle tweak of the model that going back to what finance can do and really informing sales, that's a perfect example of, um, I think, just you know, can kind of inform your views. I make more than me one other point though uh, about you know cohort you know LTV was on that uh, that slide as well. When you have a lot of data, these analyses can be great. But one of the mistakes I sometimes see with companies coming in is they'll do cohort analysis, but it just doesn't have a lot of data. Mm -hmm. Or they'll give me MPS scores, but they don't really have a lot of data behind it. Um, and for all those reasons, I find like lifetime value to be virtually meaningless for uh, enterprise SaaS companies. And I wouldn't spend any time trying to really kind of get your arms around it because you just, at the early stages at a series A, you just don't know yet. I mean, look, if you're coming to me and it's a series D and you've got thousands of customers with that you've had for five years, well, then those metrics become much more valuable. But at the early stages, you know, it does make sense to probably look at each customer um, and really, you know, depending on, obviously you've got thousands, you can't do it, but you know, if you've got a hundred, you can really look at it customer by customer as well, at least to give you confidence that the data analysis you're doing resonates. 
Only two things I'll add um, is if, if a lot of people are in finance, I, I've been doing this for about eight, nine years. And believe it or not, I really did not understand what LTV, CAC, any of those things, Matt, until a year ago. And why I bring that up, I think one of the most underrated things anybody in finance can do is sit down with everybody in your company, including sales, and just teach them the basics. And the reason I say that is, look, we're selfish, right? We want to know why those things matter because the multipliers in SaaS are amazing, right? And when people care about the foundation, when they care about those things, it's huge. And Ryan brought up, I think, an amazing part about CAC and cohort, and Tina brought up a really good point about cohort analysis. One of the other data points I would add is um, referrals. And the reason I say that is anytime you can get references, it's cheaper. It's one of the most affordable ways of reducing CAC and how amazing would it be by the eighth cohort if you see like that referral increasing? It's a really, really good indicator for an investor that, hey, I want to double down. These guys know what they're doing or these gals know what they're doing. So those are the only two points I would make. Um, I think, again, I, I wish somebody I had worked for sat me down and said, hey, this is why CAC, LTV, what you do day to day is really important because it's going to mean more pocket in your when you go IPO or when someone acquires you. And the only reason I learned that is because of a recent acquisition, right? So the sooner you kind of explain to people the why, the more you're going to benefit and frankly, the more easier your job gets. Well, we're back to what all of your job is, right? Is to tell the story of the business via the numbers. And that's a great point that you're making there, Puya. And what everybody just said about metrics, because there's so much of this is nuanced on what your model is. Do you sell something for $19 a month or $99 a month or $10,000 a year or $100,000 a year. Each of those has a different sales motion and thus, you know, set of metrics that accompany it and then the underline how you're going to fund it and make it efficient. But the more, you know, our job as senior leaders, the more you can make what success looks like really simple and clear and the measures for that very straightforward and measurable, the more everybody can buy in to executing against it. And I think that's a great transition over to our the last of these four points. Um, and uh, one side point, I was bringing up some of the metrics before. There's a little bit of a teaser because Jeff Epstein and I from Bessemer Ventures are going to go much deeper on those uh, in the upcoming session. So uh, take, you know, take the time to, to listen to that one. Jeff is so erudite on what he knows about how to run a great business. But so on to this slide, right? We talked about strategy. We talked about tactics. We talked about measures. Now you got to be able to produce all of that. And so Tina, as you're, as someone's moving from seed into a growth stage, what do you suggest as to how to automate the processes to create those numbers? Yeah, that, and that's critical. The, the, what, you, what you said, David, is, is absolutely critical. And where, where we see a lot of, you know, step backs or, or, or wastes of time, you know, value, time to value, is uh, where, the, where the core um, understandings and systems have not been put in place. I'm not saying you have to get the biggest system, buy everything right now, put it together right now, but in every system or process you're considering, sales process, finance process, close process, marketing, you, you really have to look at, am I gonna be able to scale this seamlessly, right? I can start you know, here, but will I be able to jump to the, literally jump geometrically with very little friction? And the, the way to do that, I think, to Poya's point, the one way to do that is to make sure you've got very clear and open communications and collaboration with your team. What's sales telling you, right? Are, if you're looking at going from 10 contracts to 100 in a couple of months, you better make sure that you've got the right systems in place that will enable you to, to, to get the, the, the data out that you need to be able to do the reporting so you can judge against your model, judge your performance against your plan. Um, you have to have the right processes in place, whether that's, you know, a hiring process. You don't want to be in a, in a position where you just don't have the right team in place. Um, and, and that can be, you know, that can be very critical. Um, so uh, the, the right systems that always are set up to scale and systems that are very flexible are very important. And then knowing when to take the next step. You know, you, you have to be fair and honest with yourself about, you know, Tina's done a great job in, in finance and Joe's done a great job in marketing. Now I need, the, I need the VP of, of marketing. Now I need a full-time CFO. Now I need, when, when I'm talking to investors, um, I need to be prepared to say, next year I'm going to have to do an audit, right? And the audit is for me because I know that at some point, my, Ryan is going to be asking me 
when he's wanting to make an investment, show me the confidence around your numbers. And he's looking more than just, he's looking at my numbers, he's looking at my processes, and he's looking at those numbers to actually support the story I'm telling him. Mm -hmm. That's very comprehensive, Ryan. What, to see the numbers that you're producing, what is it that you ask? Because here's all these finance leaders trying to make their case, trying to get investment to grow their business when they know themselves, how much do I invest in sales versus how much do I invest in the systems to be able to track the success of the company? How would you guide them all by thinking about that to put these in? Well, I think, you know, I think first of all, I put a, a great point on just, I think playing this role to educate uh, the exec team on, on the metrics, especially that are relevant to them. I'm still surprised at how many like teams, I mean, just to give you an example, let's say I'll meet with a head of marketing who struggles to understand marketing in the context of sales, that a decision to invest a dollar in marketing versus a decision to invest a dollar in sales, it's kind of the same thing. And, and really like just understanding like your marketing channel, but not knowing conversion into sales is kind of pointless. I mean, I mean, it's not pointless, it's helpful, but it's, it's not the full picture. And I think the only way people get that view is by really getting them to understand the business because investors, it, you know, the language that investors are really comfortable with is finance, even if you're a series A investor, right? And this, to Tina's point, this only grows more important as you mature as a business, ultimately to, you know, like a public company, public investors, that's all they're really interested in is your, is your, you know, financial metrics. So, um, I think it's, it's critical to start building that discipline uh, early because it'll just, it'll be so helpful, not only in raising money, I mean, that's obviously important, but just understanding the business and getting everybody on the same page um, about why that's, you know, why that's, you know, what's important and, you know, and what's not. Mm. It just builds right on top. I, mean, I, this constantly comes up with me as I engage with many of our customers as I start to think about this, triggers happen of you start to get to around 100 invoices or 250 revenue schedules or trying to consolidate and made an acquisition or expanding. You got two or more entities that you're trying to bring down or all the more so now as we're doing this, uh, trying to bring in a more variety of scenario planning to figure out how long you can stretch cash for and you know uh, low end, mid range or high end scenarios that you wanna have. Uh, come out and there's all these different systems where we talked about what's happening with the sales, what's happening with how you're invoicing and collecting and then building on top of that all come together with all this. So I think, and kind of starting to bring us to the, uh, the final ending of all this, you guys had some tips that we talked a little bit about to pull some of this stuff together. Do you guys mind sharing this? I mean, Puyo, you kind of, you talked about this, about communicating the message and not only with the staff, but also with investors. you mind sharing a little bit more of that? Yeah, I'll, I'll add to Ryan's point because he brought up a really good point, which is if you're a CFO or in finance, you have to become really good friends with whoever's running sales or the whole team because I had this bias when I started that the CFO wanted to prevent me from being successful and it's, it couldn't be further from the truth. So mm. the Suster you sit down and you build that trust, I can't emphasize how important that is. Every organization I've been of part of, like the finance person's one of the first people I sat down with because they have my best interest because they want to protect me and the company, right? Um, but I think having some of those conversations going back to like building a foundation or a process, when you hear things come up like, hey, can I get net 45 terms and net 60 terms or those, just those basic things, you also have to document those things and start agreeing to what we're going to say okay to and what I need to go and get approvals from a CFO or, or whoever, right? I think those things are really, really important. And the sooner you can do it for the organization, the better. Uh, but in terms of answering your question um, about uh, about what should be communicated is how the finance comes back to helping the team, right? The company overall. And it goes back, frankly, to the multiplier at, at, at any point, the goal of a startup, right? Is to continue to grow, whether it's to get acquired or go IPO, right? That's, that's why you raise around in the first place. So explaining that to people and the benefit it can have uh, is I think the job of the CFO. So the more you communicate that, the better. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, well, it's, and because our audience is the finance team, this question came in. I was going to save it till the end, and but I'll ask you now. 
because here's the finance folks asking, and a question came in is, what does sales want? So if I'm the finance leader who wants to talk with my sales peer, and they potentially think I'm the deal prevention office, what yeah. is it that they want? So I could be more educated. Thank you, Tom, for that question. Yeah, um, I, I think fundamentally, any a lot of people think sales folks are money driven, and, and, and there's some truth to that. Don't get me wrong, but fundamentally, I think if you talk to any salesperson, a lot of truth. There's a lot of truth. <laughs> there, there, there's a lot of truth, but I think keep going, fun, keep going. Fun, fundamentally, at least in SaaS, if you have done it long enough, your reputation matters as well, right? And you want it, you want the customer to be successful. You genuinely do. The best mm -hmm. people that keep bringing the customer back, right? Because it's a lifetime relationship, right? And now with LinkedIn, and everything, the networks are so small that your reputation carries weight. Uh, so essentially I think the alignment is there for both parties. They might not see it, uh, but you also want to make it easier for sales, right? You want to, you want to make sure the incentives, if they're putting in the time they get rewarded for those things, right? Uh, Cause it's a, it's a very tough job, right? It's not easy in this environment to get rejected, keep hearing the word, no, 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 no. And having to like oversell uh, around those objections. So the more you can reward them for that behavior and going above and beyond to get a re referral, I think the better. Uh, and I'll give you a really good example of this. At AutoMile in the, in the early days, one of the things we did to incentivize people was to incentivize them to go get use case and case studies, right? And what we did is we brought the whole C-level executive team to interview that person. And what it does is not only does it makes the whole company more um, affectionist or like more empathy for the customer and making them successful, but it helps you gather stories that you can reshare and retell. And it, it just drives this like referral machine in the process. So I think whenever those things happen, whoever is driving that, whether it's customer success or sales or whoever it may be, you need to reward them for those behaviors. I'm not saying it has to be commission based, but why not give them an experience like $50 gift card or something along those lines so they feel appreciated. So, yeah, it's great. You know, Ryan, on this third one, just on, you alluded to it several times, but what, what builds confidence for you that all our audience can take away from? Well, you know, look, the most impressive management teams and CEOs are the ones that are really crisp with their numbers. Mm -hmm. And, and the, the opposite of that obviously is true too. If we're having a conversation and the CEO is fumbling with numbers or there's some confusion about it, about what's what, and that maybe they deploy this thing. They don't maybe know exactly what these different metrics are. It's concerning. And I think it reflects, you know, poorly on the business. And so, yeah, I mean, you know, I think, you know, investors like all of us, we're lazy, right? And, and we all try to take shortcuts. And, and I think SAS maybe takes it a little too far, but all these metrics are effectively shortcuts to understanding your business. Yeah. And so, you know, you can use them effectively and really, you know, build a lot of investor confidence very easily and very quickly. Um, you know, if, if you present them in the right way. Thank you. I you just, it's been fantastic. We've gotten several questions throughout the session. If you have other questions, please do it. Please do the survey there in the right hand side. Uh, we'll share that back with you so you can, see what your peers are doing. So take a moment and, uh, and put that in right now. And I'm not gonna do the wrap up on the thank you yet till we get through some of the questions. Ryan, I, I, this is a funny question that came in and it was essentially, I'm gonna slightly paraphrase it, but what's one of the oddest or strangest way, ways someone tried to communicate their business to you that just made you roll your eyes? <laughs> um, the oddest way. Oh, you know, I, I think there's been, <laughs> I don't know if it's, it's odd. I, I think there's been, there have been people that have, we've been going, yeah, like we've gone through, no, like in a, in a meeting, let's say we're looking at a spreadsheet um, and there's errors uh, as we're going through it. And instead of like kind of taking a step back, uh, you know, people sometimes double down <laughs> on, on the, in, in the, in the uh, attempt to appear confident uh, that, you know, they're right. Cause that, that's a strategy we've all come to see in the last, you know, years here in, 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 in politics is doubling down regardless of what it is. Um, uh, and that, you know, at, at least I think with most investors, uh, that doesn't, doesn't work. 
Yeah, <laughs> I can see that. That's yeah. so funny. Yeah. It's a great question. Tina, a question came in for you is, when should we make the first finance hire? Oh, that's a great question. And, um, and, and I do get that all the time. So my, my answer is really going to sound frivolous, but um, you, you have to, it's, it's more important than just the finance hire. It's what exactly are you looking at, right? Um, mm. so for example, if you've got someone strong on the team that's good in finance, right? It's possible, right? Um, so they may have a certain set of skills that just need some supplement, right? So that first finance hire might be maybe a controller. Um, on the other hand, if you're looking at you know, you're starting to scale rapidly. You've got the interest of investors like Storm. I mean, folks that really are going to be movers and shakers and kind of take all the air out of the room when they're interested in your company. At that point in time, you really got to be looking just completely at having a CFO who's, you know, really focused fully on your business and will be able to bring in the team that they need, uh, you know, at, as they see fit. Um, so making that first finance hire, we do really well um, for companies that are starting, you know, seed, pre-seed, seed, you know, up into the series A, but we're not, you know, realistically, you're not going to see a series B or C or a company that's pre-IPO doing that without a full-time CFO on staff, without a really terrific CMO on staff or CRO. Um, so somewhere inside of that span of time, I would say within the first, um, really probably the latest I've ever seen would be like 12 to 18 months. You're probably looking at taking a look at some sort of a finance hire at that point, right? Um, and again, it does have to, it has a lot to do with the traction that you're getting in the market for sure. And you can leverage, you know, the, you can leverage the capability of a, of a combination of, of resources too, where you bring in one a hire that's supplementing someone already on your team. That can also work. It's really specific to the customer profile. Does that, does that help? Oh, absolutely. It's a great answer to the question. And Puya, a question came, uh, a follow-up, you know, it build on that question we asked is what does sales want from finance? It's, it's what is, uh, this is from a finance person writing it is, how does sales and finance want me to tell the story, to work with them to tell the story so I can fund them as opposed to it feels like I'm trying to defund them? Uh, it's, I, I think context on the business matters a lot, but I'll, I'll give you a personal experience that I had. Uh, Mike Asher, uh, who was formerly a CFO and he, he still is. Uh, I remember at HackerRank, we sat down and he said, we got to come up with a way to increase our subscription revenue and decrease our services revenue. And the reason for that, I remember he said, he's like, because for every dollar we bring in, we get rewarded by a pretty significant multiplier when it's a subscription revenue versus a services revenue. And I think at least I, I didn't know that, right? I had no idea, right? Um, and I think the more you can do those things and how it ties back to the business, but more importantly, how does it tie back to that person? Uh, in other words, explaining the why, uh, it goes really, really, really far, right? But I think before you can do that, you really have to build that trust and that credibility. And one of the things I remember uh, Mike had done at the beginning was he said, look, the reason I want to do this is I want to increase our uh, subscription business because it makes it easier for us to get that next round. And when you get that next round, I can get you more help, right? Uh, so I think doing those and, and coming at it from the other person's perspective plays, plays a lot of... Uh, value. Um, as Tina was talking, I, I had going back to the second question, if it's okay. Um, I just recently bought a home and I, I share that story because it, it just gave me this crazy analogy. I, I closed on my house in two weeks. It was a really, really quick kind of sell. And we got our loan from Wells Fargo and for whoever's falling, they're not easy to deal with. But the only reason we did was because we had this really professional accountant that I've been using for the last couple of years has kept everything organized where by the time we got to the underwriter, they're like, there's nothing to look at. You're legit. Right. And that's what I think a really good CFO slash finance person can do uh, for a company. So my, my question to you is for Ryan, because he's the investor. If I come to you as a founder or a CFO and I'm, I show you kind of how I had to do it to Wells Fargo, how much credit do you give the company for being organized? Oh, I, I, it, it's a big deal. Yeah, it's a big deal. I mean, I think, you know, look, we deal with situations all the time where it's messy and we've got to work on their models and all of that. And, and it doesn't mean it's not an attractive business. Um, 
But I think there's a lot of investors that are just not going to do that work. Mm-hmm. I mean, that goes back to what I was saying there, you know, it's probably lazy. So yeah, I mean, having, having all those things organized, um, it just presents the story in a way that people can understand it quickly and can get to whatever's important to them. I mean, maybe they're not like me. They don't focus on sales efficiency. Maybe they care about something else. And it allows them to get to that and engage around those key questions so much faster. Um, and just like in a, a sales deal, you know, time, time kills deals uh, in financings too, right? So, so they, get, they get sidetracked with something else and I don't know, something else comes. So yeah, it just, it's incredibly important. Yeah, and I think, and, and key to that are really good systems, uh, you know, because the, the investor has to be confident that this is repeatable. This is not a one-time performance, right? right? Every board meeting or every quarter, they need to know that you're going to be able to present that information in, in a format that is just as crisp. And the only way you can do that is if, is if you've got the right systems in place from the start, like Poya said, um, right. So that at any critical point, we like to call it actionable, investor-ready financial statements. It's really important. Mm-hmm. Guys, all th- three of you, it's been absolutely fantastic uh, on what you've been sharing. I hope all of you have learned as much as we hoped you would, right? It's just getting into what the, the strategies you need to get into, the tactics to go after, the measures to put it against, the systems that you think about going against it, and the tips upon which to draw all this. We'll be crafting all this into a blog and then also sharing some of the survey results with everybody so you can get all of that back. We really appreciate all of you spending the time with us and learning. If you got any additional comments, shoot them across to us. If you wish to learn more about us, uh, you heard the ways to follow up and learn more about Ryan and Puya and Tina. It's just simply uh, sageintact.com or shoot me a note at david.apple, A-P-P-E-L at sage.com and happy to go so much uh, further and deeper with you. Please join me in thanking Tina and Puya and Ryan for uh, fantastic insights for everybody to leverage and we wish everybody a great day.